Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, Merry Christmas, Emmanuel Church. There are so many reasons why Christmas is such a fun time. There's the family time, time away from work. There's the, the food. Uh, there's the lights. There's the tree. There's the gift exchange. Anybody excited about some gift exchanges tomorrow? Uh, there's all kinds of fun stuff. There's the movies. Christmas movies are absolutely wonderful. Uh, yesterday, my family watched Elf. Tonight, after the 6 o'clock service, we're all going to get together. We're going to have some spaghetti meatballs, and we're going to watch It's a Wonderful Life as a family. Anybody else doing that tonight? Uh, yeah, it's just, Christmas movies are awesome. But I think that the music behind Christmas is probably one of the most wonderful things. Do you agree? The music does something to us. It stirs our heart. And that's why this Christmas, we decided to maybe look at some of the, our favorite Christmas carols and kind of unpack them, pull the biblical truth out of them, and then apply it to our life. And so that's kind of what we've been doing with, uh, over the last couple of weeks. So if you're brand new uh, and, and this is your first time, we've been talking about, uh, we, we talked about the little drummer boy in week number one. Week number two, we unpacked joy to the world. And then last week, we talked uh, about go tell it on the mountain. Uh, and by the way, if this is your first time watching online or here at the Greenwood campus in one of our locations, we want to give you a very special welcome. Can we give it up for all, all of our first-time guests? It's, it's very serious to us that you accepted someone's invitation to be here and to be blessed and, and to participate what's going on in and through Emmanuel. So hopefully your experience thus far has been a good one. Uh, for those of you who are not brand new, welcome back. Great to see you. Um, and so today what I want to do is unpack this, this carol that we just sang Oh, Holy Night. I did not know this about this carol, but it was actually written in 1843. This song that we just sang is 179 years old. And it was actually written in France. There was a, a Catholic priest, a French Catholic priest, who wanted to celebrate the restoration of the new organ in their church. We haven't had an organ in our church for many, many years, but a lot of churches do. And so they, they, they restored this organ, and he wanted to celebrate it. So he, he asked this French poet, who was sort of a Christian, kind of a backslidden, fallen away from God kind of Christian, uh, to write, but he was an excellent poet. So uh, this priest asked this guy named Placide Capot. We actually have a picture of this guy. Um, that's what Placide looks like. I don't know why his parents named him Placide. Sounds like something like a, something in biology. Um, anyway, um, he wrote this amazing poem in French. Well, a couple of years later, a Jewish man, total unbeliever, uh, translated, I'm sorry, put the, put the French poem to music. This is a picture of Adolf Adams. He did that, Jewish man. And then a, a couple years later in 1855, a guy by the name of John Sullivan Dwight translated the French song into English and brought it to America. This is a picture of John Sullivan Dwight. And so that's actually the version of the song that we sang today. It's a little bit different. We added some stuff today, a modern version. But that's how the 
song came to us today. We've been singing it for over 150 years. Quite amazing. I've had a lot of fun diving into the history of some of these songs just to kind of understand where they came from. Um, but it's amazing that God took a, 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 an unbelieving Jewish man, a sort of a backslidden Christian and a Catholic priest to bring this song that we sing every single Christmas to bring, that actually tells the story of, of, of that first Christmas night. Oh, holy night, a divine night. This song actually just tells the story of why this night was holy, why it was special, why it was divine. What does the word divine mean? It means that, that something supernatural has entered the natural. This, is the, this song kind of explains to us this moment in time where God the supernatural entered the world, the human sphere of, of, of material you know, things that we see, the, uh, you could say the unspiritual world. Why was this night holy? Why was it divine? The song basically lays out four reasons. If you're taking notes, grab your pen. If you have the, the app on the phone, you can fill these in. The first reason why this night was holy, the first reason why it was divine was because it was the night that hope entered the world. If we look at the lyrics right out, of the, right out of the gate, just look at this song with me. This is how it starts. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. The, the supernatural enters the natural. And watch what happens. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared, that is Jesus, and the soul felt its worth. Now, before we move on to the next phrase in the song, I just want to admit that I had never fully looked into or considered what this word pining meant. Anybody else? I've sang this song over and over and over. Never thought, like, what does it mean to pine? So I had to look it up. <laughs> so I looked it up and come to find out the word has two meanings. Uh, it means to, to languish or to lose health or to lose vigor or to slowly die, to pine. And then it also means to desire after something that you really cannot fully ever attain. To want something but always fall short of attaining it. To be ultimately unsatisfied but yet thirsting and hungering. To pine after something. And I got to thinking about this phrase. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Not the world, not the earth, but the individual human beings in the world are pining, they're languishing, they're slowly dying, slowly starving, slowly thirsting, and longing after things that they can never, that will never fully satisfy them. You, you know how we do it, right? Chasing after the next purchase, the next experience, the next woman, the next man, the next car, the next house, always wanting something more and then kind of maybe even attaining it but, but still being unfulfilled. Anybody ever been there? Pining, languishing, languishing in anger or depression or anxiety or addiction. Pining, that's what the word means. I'm like, wow, I've never thought about how accurate this song is about the human condition. It describes me. It describes you, the human soul, is a thirsty place. It's a languishing place. And this, this night was divine because it was the night that the, the real answer to the human soul entered the scene, the night that Christ was born. Listen to the words, the next phrase. A thrill of hope 
the weary world, the tired world, the languishing world, the pining world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I was trying to think about a scenario that would describe our situation or the situation that this song is presenting, and it kind of came to me. Oh, it's, it's a person lost at sea. It's a person on a raft that their plane has either crashed in the Pacific Ocean and they made it, and now they're on a raft, and you've read books about this really happens. Or maybe their ship goes down and they're making on a raft and now they're adrift at sea and there's no boat and there's no plane. And now they're pining. They're slowly dying of thirst. They're slowly dying of hunger. There's no land in sight. Their ship has sunk. The plane has crashed. The helicopter's down. And now they're all by themselves, drifting at sea. This is your situation, whether you realize it or not. And it's my situation as well. It's the situation of every human being who's ever been born. We are drift at sea, cut off from God. Maybe you heard about the story of James Michael Grimes. On Thanksgiving Day, his family was on a cruise, a carnival cruise, and um, he went upstairs to his room after having some fun, a few drinks, and he fell overboard right into the water in the Gulf of Mexico. Several hours later, his family is like, hey, we can't find, you know, our, our son, our brother. So Carnival Cruise calls in, you know, the uh, Coast Guard. And, and they go out searching. They had to search 7,000 miles in the, in, in the Gulf of Mexico. Hour goes by, another hour goes by, another hour goes by. 20 hours later, a ship notices, John, uh, notices James in the water. And he just has enough energy to put his arm up. He had been treading water for 20 hours. How many of you can tread water for one hour? I think to be a lifeguard, you've got to tread water for 20 minutes. And they, they give you a lifeguard license. This, this cat treaded water for 20 hours. And when they interviewed him, they said, I just wanted to see my family again. I refused to die. And this is like shark-infested waters in the Gulf of Mexico. In fact... If you see the interview, you can Google it. One shark actually came up and bumped him in the leg, and he said he just kicked it, <laughs> and it swam away. Can you imagine the thrill of hope that Mr. Grimes felt when that ship put the spotlight on him? Can you imagine the thrill of hope that he had when that helicopter when the Coast Guard came up above, oh, by the way, they caught it all on tape. You can Google it. You can Google the rescue. It's in black and white, but you can see it. They rescue him. They, they bring the thing down from the helicopter. They put him in, and they bring him up. Can you imagine what he must have felt after 20 hours of treading water to be rescued? Look at the song, A Thrill of Hope. That's my situation. That's your situation. Listen how the Bible describes you and me without Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, you lived in this world without God and without hope. Adrift at sea, a person on a raft, pining, slowly languishing, looking for land, looking for help, looking for a helicopter, but there's no, no rescue in sight. And then in Romans chapter 5, Paul says this, when we were utterly helpless, adrift at sea, that's our situation, you have to embrace it, even if you don't think it is. Your situation and my situation is one where we are utterly helpless and just 
at that time, watch this, Christ came at just the right time and he died for sinners. See, the reason why this night was holy and the word holy simply means to be totally separate and unlike anything else and unique, it stands alone. This night was unique, it was holy because it was the night that hope entered the world. Anybody excited about that? The rescue, the rescue plan began that night to save you from your sins. Why else was this night divine? Well, the author, the poet, Placide, he tells us it's also the night that love entered the world. Love like we've never known. Love, love like we've never seen. Look at, look at the song. It simply says, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. In John chapter 13, Jesus taught us this very basic principle. Here's what he said. A new commandment I give you, here it is. Watch this, love one another. And then he adds a twist to it. He, he wants us to understand like what that means or how to apply it or how to do it. He says, as I have loved you, in the same way I've demonstrated love to you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love one another, which begs the question, well, how, how did he love us? Because if I'm gonna love you the way he loves me, I gotta understand how he loved me, right? Well, in John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus said this, a couple of chapters later, there's no greater love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends. Anybody remember the movie The Guardian with Kevin Costner? I know it's a little old, but if you haven't seen it, good movie. Well, he plays a Coast Guard rescue dude, as Kevin Costner does. And at the end of the movie, he's rescuing uh, Ashton Kutcher. I don't know his name in the movie, but do you remember that, you know that guy, that actor? And he's on a ship, and the ship's going down, and he needs rescue. Here comes the helicopter. Kevin Costner comes to the rescue, goes down on the rope, in the storm, the ship's going down. He gets Kutcher, hooks him on, and they're bringing him up, and he's saving his life. And all of a sudden, on the way up, the wire starts to unravel and break. And Costner quickly realizes that this is too much weight for, for, you know, for the wire. It can only carry one person. And so he does instinctively what he knows to do because it's his job to save. He reaches up, and he disconnects himself and he falls. And just as he's falling, Kutcher reaches out and grabs him by the hand. It's such an amazing scene. You can watch it on YouTube if you don't want to watch the whole movie. He grabs him by the hand, and, and, and he's looking down at Costner, and Costner's looking up at him, and he's got his hand, and he says, I'm not going to let go. And, and, and Kevin Costner says, I know you're not going to let go. And so he undoes his glove, and his hand slips out of the glove, and he plummets to his death. I cried. I did. I, I, I don't know. I just have drawn in. I, I, here's why I cried, because, because that's what Jesus did for me. You want to know what love looks like? Love looks like I, I'm going to save you, but in order to save you, I have to die. Jesus gave his life on the cross so that you can live. Listen to how John wrote it. I love it. This is real love. Not that we loved God. Come on, come on. That's not a really great picture of it. I mean, we can love God, but I'm not talking about that. No, 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 but that he loved us. You wanna know what pure love looks like? It looks like when the father sent the son as a, say it with me, a what? A sacrifice to take away our sins. That's what love is. You know what love is, biblical love? It's not feelings and romance and sex. That's what Hollywood tells us. Love and this is what keeps marriages together and families together and churches together and businesses together. Love is the choice to do what is best for the other person. 
whatever that is. It's a choice. It's a decision. Which is why it bugs me to death when people say, I just don't love him anymore. I just don't love her anymore. No, 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 no. You misunderstand. You think love is a feeling. Love is a choice to do what is best for another person. Jesus did what was best for us. We needed redemption. We needed forgiveness. We needed peace and reconciliation with the Father. So what does he do? He dies in our place. And then Jesus takes it a step further and says in verse 35, after he tells us, I want you to love one another as I have loved you, love one another. He tells us this in verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you do what is best for one another. In other words, you know what the defining mark of a disciple is? The the defining mark of a Christian is supposed to be this choice of doing what is best for our neighbor. Not how much we know about the Bible, not how many times we come to church, not how much money we give away, not how many poor old ladies we take across the street. But our decision to do what is best for another people. That night was holy. That night was divine because it was the night when hope entered the world. It was the night when love entered the world. But not only that, not only that, it was the night when peace entered the world. Peace. It's, if if I could package peace in a box and sell it, I would be a billionaire because there's not an epidemic of peace in our world today. There's an epidemic of depression and anxiety and fear, and worry, but there's no epidemic of peace. And what makes this night unique, what makes it holy, is it's the night when, when peace entered the world. There's a prophet named Isaiah, and he wrote the book Isaiah <laughs> about six to 700 years before this holy divine night when Christ was born. And he, he wrote about how Jesus would be born, and he wrote about what his name would be in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah writes these words, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government, I love this part, the government, and this is future, okay, not now, but in the future, the government will be on his shoulders. No more Democrats, no more Republicans. Anybody excited? No more Congress, no more Senate, no more corruption. Jesus will be the dictator, the perfect dictator, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Because... Because what Jesus is, is he is is peace. He brings peace into the world. He started the process of the world becoming a peaceful place. Now, it's not there yet, have you noticed? But that's where we're headed in the future. Two kinds of peace Jesus brought us. Jesus brought us peace with God. Because remember, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that before we met Christ, we were without God and without hope. We were enemies of God. But look at verse 13. I showed you verse 12. Let's look at verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were far away from God, enemies of God, detached from God, separated from God. But now, since Christ came, watch this, you've been brought near to him through the what? The the blood of Jesus. We just got done singing about that. Last week we talked about the blood of Jesus. It's kind of weird. It's kind of odd. Why did Jesus shed his blood? Well, there had to be a payment for sin. God isn't just going to overlook our sins and brush them under the carpet and say, no problem, everybody comes to heaven when they die. No, he doesn't do that. He loves us, and he loves us enough to deal with our sin. 
There must be a penalty. And so instead of punishing us, he punishes his son. Jesus shed his blood for us. And then it says this, and this is a beautiful statement. For Christ himself has brought, say it with me, peace to us. Peace with God. When you trust in Jesus, when you place your faith in him, the blood of Christ cleanses you from all sin and you are reconciled to God. This is good news. But there's also another kind of peace available. Inner peace, not just peace with God, but internal peace, which is the peace that so many people lack today. The presence of God in a person's life ought to bring the peace of God if we know how to attain it. And Paul tells us exactly how to do that in Philippians chapter 4. Listen to these words. Do not be anxious about anything. That's a pretty tough statement for our world today. Because people are anxious about everything, aren't they? Interest rates and COVID and this and this and what about my kids and what about their job and when are they going to get married? Am I going to get married? Am I going to get remarried? People are anxious and worried about everything. The Bible says don't be anxious about anything. Okay, how do you do that? Watch this. In every situation you find yourself, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray and bring your petition with some thanksgiving and some gratitude to God and I want you to present those prayers and those petitions, those requests to God. I want you to lay them before God. Why? Because he hears you. He's your savior. He lives inside of you. He knows what you need before you even ask. Lay those requests before him. When you actually do that, not in your head, okay? But when you actually lay those requests before God and put those anxieties upon his shoulders. He's got big shoulders. He's going to run the whole government one day. He knows what he's doing. You think Jesus knows everything about everything? Some of you are not so sure. You think he's nice, but maybe not that smart. Trust me, he's really smart. Jesus knows everything about everything. Have you considered that? Could he teach a chemistry class, a quantum physics class? Do you think? You think he's a, got his PhD? You got to think about this stuff. He's really smart. So you can take whatever deal you got going on and you can trust him with it because he knows everything about everything. And when you really do that, watch what happens. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It doesn't even make sense to your friends, family members, your spouse. They're like, why are you so calm? Well, I just just prayed about it. I got peace. And the peace of God will do something. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard them from what? Fear, worry, anxiety, anxiety. This is how we live a peaceful life in the midst of chaos, in the midst of all the situations you find yourself. Now, there's so many Christians that just don't live that way, and it makes me sad. It's like you're forfeiting a quality of life that is yours that Christmas morning. The reason why that morning was so divine, it was so holy, is because now you have the opportunity, if you trust God, to walk and live in peace, regardless of what's going on in your life. Now, I, for one, want in on that. Anybody else? I think that's good news. Do you think? Good news? Yes? This night was holy. It was divine because peace came into the world, because love came into the world, because hope came into the world. But it doesn't end there. Like, that's good enough. Like, we should all be happy and go home, right? But it gets better. This night was holy. This night was divine, number four, because freedom came into the world. Freedom. Freedom's a big deal. You ever seen Braveheart? Oh, freedom! It's a big deal. We die for freedom. Really, people really die for freedom. It's a big deal. 
Some people don't like freedom in this country. Here's my words to you. Leave. <laughs> there's, like, there's lots of other countries you can go live in. Why do you want to stay here? Anyway, okay. Told another sermon for another day. I'll probably never preach that one. But freedom's a big deal. Freedom's a big deal. Look at the next verse in the song with me. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. It's kind of an odd twist in the song. Like He's talking about hope, he's talking about love, he's talking about peace. All of a sudden there's this switch to freedom of, from, from slavery and oppression. And Where does the author get this from? Well, he gets it right out of the Bible. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus, uh, when he was in his ministry, he would, he would go from town to town inside the temple on the, week, on, the, on the Sabbath, and he would open up the Old Testament, and he would read from it, he would teach from it because he was a rabbi. So in Luke chapter 4, he goes into the town of Bethlehem, and he grabs uh, the scroll that's there, and he starts reading. And this is what we, what we, what we see in Luke chapter 4. He reads, watch this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, and that the poor or the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor will come. You know what passage he's quoting? Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. It's, again, going back to Isaiah, 600 years before Jesus is even born, writing about what this Messiah will do. He will come into the world and he will set people free from all kinds of slavery. How will he do that? Will he raise up an army to go fight all these wicked people holding people down in slavery and kill them and destroy them? No, that's not how he did it. That's not how he does it. Well, if you go back into the song, it says that truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is love. And what is love? Love is doing what is best for another person. Let me ask you a question. Is it ever best for a human being to be owned by another human being, ever? Yes or no? Is there any situation on this planet where the best thing for me to do is to enslave you, buy you, own you as a piece of property? Is there any situation where the best thing to happen is for you to own me, own me like a piece of property and treat me like an animal? No. That's, that's human beings have inherent dignity. They are created and made in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. And so it's never the best thing for a human being to be enslaved by another human being. So when you apply the law of love to the way governments are set up and societies are set up, you suddenly realize this is an injustice, this is wrong. And that's why people like William Wilberforce and many, many others and President Abraham Lincoln brought slavery to an end because they saw the injustice in it. How? It came from Jesus. That's not love. Jesus came to bring freedom. Now, we still got a long way to go with that because currently there's still over 40 million people who are actually enslaved. Most of them are in the sex trafficking industry, if you can even call that. It's dark wickedness in this world. Most of them, I should say, at least a fourth of them are children. 
owned and purchased and used for sexual fulfillment. So there's still a lot of work. This is why when that night, that divine night that happened, that holy night, it started the process of freedom. It started the process of peace. It made love possible, but we're not finished yet. But there's another kind of freedom that Jesus brought, not just for captives and people who are in bondage and slavery to other human beings, but also freedom from the power of sin. See, when a person trusts in Jesus, they are freed from the penalty of sin. They no longer have to pay. Jesus paid it. His blood covers us. But that does not mean that you are freed from the power of sin. And anyone who's ever battled addiction knows what I'm talking about. Are you forgiven for those things? Yeah, you're forgiven. But do you struggle every day? Absolutely. You want it, you want it, you want it, you desire it, and so you give in. Does that mean you're not a Christian? No, you're a Christian. You're just enslaved to sin. Whether that is gambling or pornography or drugs or alcohol or social media or whatever it is. You are a slave to that master. Well, Jesus came not just to free us from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. You don't have to live addicted, enslaved to your own sinful desires. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter six. He says, once you were slaves to sin, past in the past, you obeyed its desires. As soon as that lustful desire came up, you clicked on that pornographic site, and you did whatever you needed to do. But now you are wholeheartedly, watch this, you wholeheartedly obey the teachings we have given you. You've followed what the book says. You're doing what Jesus said to do. You're living the way Jesus said to live. Watch the result of that obedience. Now, because of that obedience, you are, say it with me, you are free. You can walk out of that jail cell. Free from what? Free from your slavery to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, to anger, to fear, to anxiety, whatever is dominating your life. You're free. Or at least the possibility of freedom is there. That's why that night was so holy. That's why it was so divine. And you have become slaves to righteous living. He, he keeps with the metaphor of slavery because in a sense, your new master is Jesus and now he's telling you what to do in regards to money, in regards to sex, in regards to every, fear, worry. And now you're following him and he knows the way out of prison. Folks, that's good news. Do you agree? You're talk, we're talking about freedom. We're talking about peace. We're talking about hope. We're talking about love. This is good news. This song is jam-packed with the gospel truth. And where does it all lead to? You know what it leads to? It, it builds and builds and builds, and we just sang it so we all know. It leads to this, to this apex or this culmination of, of worship. Look at the next verse in the song. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. It's the only thing you can do when you contemplate the love of God and the hope of God and the peace of God and the freedom that comes to you. What happens inside of you is you, you just kind of explode with worship. Let all that is within us praise his holy name. And then he writes these words, Placebe writes these words, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Why do people fall on their knees? Why do, people go, why do people go low? Sometimes they go low because they're devastated. The death of a child, their house burns down. Their husband cheats on them. They go low. But you know, there's another reason why we go low. 
There's another reason why people, human beings, fall to our knees. It's because we are so captivated by something majestic and beautiful. The only thing we can do is go down in worship. In the book of Revelation, John caught a glimpse of Jesus. And, well, I'll just read it to you. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were a dead man. Wow. I prayed a prayer the other day. Silly prayer. Maybe not so silly. I said, God, could you just let me see your son? And I was looking at the chair in my office. And I looked over there just to see if he would show up. It's silly. I get it. But I was like, oh, man, if I could just, if I could just see him with my own eyes, that face, that, that strength, that beauty, that wisdom, if I could see him, oh, my life would be changed forever. Do you agree? If you could see Jesus. fall on your knees. That's really the only appropriate response to freedom, peace, hope, love. It's worship. Here's what I've discovered about myself and humanity. I'm only 45 years old, so I'm sure I've got way more to learn about life and human existence, but up to this point, here's what I've discovered. Maybe you've discovered the same. We're designed to be captivated by something. Have you noticed? And so, and what I mean by that is our soul. Our soul is made to to be totally and completely captivated, which is why when we see something amazing, we're like, wow, you know. I saw a cardinal this morning on the back porch, and I was like, whoa, it's so red. I almost went downstairs to get my wife. There's a cardinal on the fence. It's like, She's busy. Leave her alone. Just enjoy the cardinal, okay? She's... We, we're, we're designed, another way to say it is we are designed to worship, which is why people buy stuff incessantly. And the Amazon truck comes to your house every day. Here's why, because you you're, you're, you're designed. You're designed to, ooh, shiny. It, look, it's human. I'm not, I'm not mocking you. I'm, I'm, I'm admitting. Yes, me too. Like, I, like when I see the new Corvettes drive down the road, I'm like, I'm captivated. It looks like a Ferrari. The engine is in the back. It's amazing. We, we, we do. This is why pornography is such an epidemic because we're like, what is that? Our eyes pop out of our head. We're like, we're, why, do, why does that happen? Why do we keep clicking and watching and, and, and give away hours and hours and years of our life to porn? Why? Because you were made to be captivated by something amazing, a thrill. That's the human condition. So it's either going to be stuff, money, porn, whatever, power, you know, achievement, uh, athletics, or it's going to be Jesus. 
But mark my words, you were designed to be captivated. You were designed to fall on your knees and go, oh my gosh. The question then is, what's captivating your heart? I did my best today to use my mouth and my brain, however faulty they are, to paint a picture that you need to be captivated by love and hope and peace and freedom. And that's what this song is all about. And it's found in Christ. So have you put your faith in Christ? When I was 17, I did. Maybe today is your day that you do. Maybe today's the day where you reach out to Jesus and say, okay, I'm, I'm a goner. You're, I'm a drift at sea. You, you brought, you're the rescue. You're the rescuer. You're coming on the helicopter. You got the spotlight on me. You're bringing me up. Because you love me. You gave your life for me. You died on the cross as a sacrifice for my sins. Remember the verse? 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a sacrifice to take away our sins. Jesus literally did everything he could to bring you peace with God. He died in your place as a sacrifice for your sins. Will you trust him today? I'm going to say a prayer that I said when I was about 17, a version of it. And if you feel led to do that right now, if you want peace and joy and freedom and hope in your life, reach out to God right now. Ask Jesus to be your savior. Pray this prayer. Say this to him. Dear Jesus, I believe you're the sacrifice. I believe that because you love me, you laid down your life for me, paid the price for my sin. So right now I ask you to be my savior. I'm adrift at sea, lost, without hope. Will you save me? Will you reach down into the water and pull me out? Forgive me of my sin. I really want peace. I really want freedom. So I reach out in faith. I ask you to be my savior. From this day forward, teach me to be captivated by you. To look to you to be the satisfaction of all my affections and longings and desires. Teach me to love you and to honor you and to obey you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, whether you're watching online at one of our locations, we wanna celebrate with you, amen, church. We put together a little starter kit for you. We call it our save box. This is to get you started on your journey with Christ. If you would text the word SAVE to 65248, you can grab one of these at the information desk out there. If you're watching online, you can uh, put a little bit more information and we'll send one to you. Send one of these to you in the mail. Um, can we give God glory one more time, church? Amen. There's a Bible inside of there and all kinds of good stuff. Also a gift from us to you. So, hey guys, this has been a fun series called Carols. I hope it's been a blessing to you. If this is your first time here, we wanna invite you, uh, not next week because next week we're gonna be online only, but the week after that for our new series in January. And so uh, let me pray for us and then hand things off to the local teams. Lord, we love you. 
thank you for the opportunity to celebrate your birthday. Jesus, you, you brought so much to us on that holy night, that divine night. Thank you. And grateful chorus, grateful choruses we raise to you. All that is within us, we praise your name because of what you brought to us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now, I'm going to hand things off to the local teams. Love you guys.